everyone, and welcome to another edition of my Howling at the Moon podcast. This is Kiana Laloon, and I hope you are enjoying your days, nights, afternoons, evenings, or wherever you may be when you're listening to this podcast. I am almost finished with the recap of my Spiritual Vision series, which is the series that I completed between November 2020 and March 2021. I think this one is my favorite out of all of them because I was fortunate enough to have a relationship with this person, a great friendship with her, not only face-to-face, but also virtually as we continuously kept in contact with each other after I left Durham. Her name is Deborah Wollinger, and when I worked in Durham for a nonprofit, we connected and we immediately hit it off, especially due to our love for art and everything about it. It's just a huge part of our spirituality and the way that we interact with each other and the way that we interact with other people. It was just very insightful to see her viewpoints of the spiritual experience. This is also my highest viewed video from the Spiritual Vision series on my YouTube channel, which I think is pretty nice. I think it has a lot to do with like her connections and just like the amount of friends that she has. But nonetheless, I think this is probably my favorite interview out of all of them. And instead of like spoiling it and giving away, I think it's best that you all just listen to it from beginning to end and I'm stuttering because I'm getting excited <laughs> that's how amazing she is so as I always say enjoy and stay wavy okay so as I mentioned when we had talked about it this project basically to get you know various people's perspectives on their spiritual journey spirituality and how it impacts them in their daily lives mm-hmm. so I think we've touched on this a little bit when we first met Yes. You know, mm-hmm. So I think it would be great that we can like go deeper into discussion during this interview. And yeah, I'm just really excited. So thank mm-hmm. you for taking part. Thank you for asking me, Kiana. This was such an honor to be asked. Thank you. Yeah, great. So the first question that I usually ask those who participated in this project thus far is, can you elaborate on your spiritual and or religious experiences in your childhood. Yeah, that's an e- that's a pretty easy one. When I was a little girl, I loved to read. I read like constantly. And I had a grandfather and he would like give me books for Christmas and for birthdays. Mm-hmm. And he gave me like the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, every year, you know, Christmas and birthday until I got all seven and uh, I always wanted to be Lucy. Lucy was the one that was closest to Aslan. She had such a heart for Aslan. I always wanted to be Lucy. And then he gave me a a book called The Princess and the Goblins by George MacDonald, which was actually a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. They were in a little group called the Inklings, C.S. Lewis, uh, George MacDonald and Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien. And this book, this little book, The Princess and the Goblin, I still reread to this day, and it is informed very much like Narnia series did, but this one was very specific to my um, spiritual growth as a child and all the way up through as to an adult. It's all about little Princess Irene, and she lives in a castle, 
and her king papa doesn't live there because he has to govern the, the nation so it's kind of like a house that's kind of like a country house um slash castle and she gets um it's been raining and raining and she gets bored and she goes upstairs up 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 all these flights of stairs where she's never been before and she meets her great 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 grandmother who is spinning 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 and she tells her that she has been spinning since the day she was born and that she's almost done and she has a special present for her so princess irene is like kind of perplexed because she doesn't really understand how someone can live on the way upper reaches of her house and she's never known but known it but she goes back downstairs and she after several visits her grandmother gives her a ring and she tells her that whenever she's scared, all she has to do is take the ring off her finger, put it under her pillow, and then with her forefinger, she will fill a thread. And the grandmother has placed the thread specifically to have her uh, to be guided in whatever adventure that she's on at that particular moment. And for the princess, it's all about going in and rescuing the uh, minor Curdy from the goblin's lair in the middle of the mountain. And even when she gets really frustrated and she sits down and cries, she keeps her hand, her finger on that thread. And she understands that the thread leads her through any obstacle that she might have, okay? So as an adult, that's been kind of the way I have just kind of lived my life is to really go into um, meditation so that I can understand and connect with that thread more and more deeply and I can follow it more and more clearly. Yeah. So that's that. I think it's a, a very unique perspective and also um, finding unique that art has really influenced your journey and your outlook on life. Mm -hmm. And I think a question that I have for you is, when did you realize that art, you know, became a big part of how you see yourself and who you are as a person? Yeah, well, that thread, um, I was always, I was raised Episcopalian in the Episcopal church my mother was very devout. We went every Sunday. It did not matter. We went to church. <laughs> and um, so what happened was, is um, when I was just about ready to turn 40, that thread directed me to join the Catholic church. And I was just perplexed because I, I never expected to join the Catholic church. And it wasn't anything that I particularly had on my horizon. But I followed the thread, I went into the Catholic Church, and I found Mary, which is, for me, as I, as I grew in my understanding of Mary, it's the part of the Catholic Church um, that allows for the feminine divine. And so what happened was, is I got into art school right when I turned 40, and I went and I did... Um, figurative drawing, a whole figure drawing class for five days a week for a year because I was getting ready to have my first solo show, Painting Mary. And I really wanted to very much be able to do um, the body justice, the figure justice. So I did that. And at the, at the Catholic church that I went to for the 
the, the 10 years that I was in Cleveland was called Holy Rosary. And they have a, it was an Italian parish and they have a huge feast called the Feast of the Assumption in August, which is when Mary was assumed into heaven. And so the very first year when I became Catholic and I didn't understand about Mary, um, I thought, well, if I do artwork about Mary, then I will understand a little bit more about why the Catholics think she's so important. So I started doing artwork about Mary and I got that show. And then all of a sudden Mary changed from being, you know, the, the typical Mary that you kind of see in most paintings. She became huge. She became very large woman, very large hipped, very large thighs, very large breasts, very large arms. She was just huge, huge, this huge presence. And I realized that we were no longer dealing with, I was no longer dealing with Mary, I was dealing with Sophia, which um, is another word for the feminine face of God. And so what I did is I did a series called Sophia Sings, which is the premise was, if God were a woman, how would she create the world? And so I was given these images and I put them on uh, seven foot, yeah, they were, yeah, seven foot um, long panels of silk. And they were like big watercolors. And so there was, um, there was Mary, I mean, Sophia, and she was, oh, what did she do? Oh, um, she created light. Okay, by lighting the, the, the Shabbat candle on Friday night. So she, her head was all covered like a, um, a Jewish woman's would be. And she lit the Shabbat candle. And then the next one was separating the, uh, the waters from the earth. So here's a big pregnant Sophia and her pregnancy. She's pregnant with creation. And that is separating the waters from the dry land. And then the third one was roots and seeds. And so there she is. Now her pregnant body is all a, a burst with um, flowers. And the bottom part of her is all seeds, um, a, a geometric pattern of seeds. And then she's kneeling on the earth and she's placing the sun in the sky and she's got the moon underneath her arm ready to place that in the sky next. And then the fifth day, she is knitting the fish into the sea with birds sitting on her shoulders, watching the whole process. And then the sixth day, Adam, she's pregnant again with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are like two puzzle pieces. They are interconnected because it's only when we connect um, completely feminine and uh, masculine that the whole of the Godhead is um, expressed. And then the last day, bump it bum, she has she's uncovered her head, and her hair is all over the place. And in it, the creation is all playing the, the fish and the birds and the sun and the and Adam and Eve. And she's um, having a cup of tea because women, when they get tired, they sit down and they have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. So that was called Sophia Sings, and that directly relates back to Aslan, because in the Narnia series, when he created the world, he sang it into being, and the magician's nephew, yeah. And that's, 
Wow, that's like really interesting. And it's kind of crazy you mentioned it because I've been like really studying the Bible a lot really. Yeah. Granted, I'm not and as religious as I used to be growing up, but there's a lot of a lot of a wealth of knowledge you can take out of the Bible. And what I've been studying, crazy enough, is the seven days of creation in oh the Old Testament. Goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and that's why I was just like, oh wow. And I love how you use your series to kind of reflect, you know, that creation process. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was like really like shocked that you were talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess going off of that, spiritually speaking, how important, well, how important do you think like the divine femininity is to spirituality because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about you know divine feminine and what it really means Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to they try to like intermingle it with gender but that's not necessarily what it you know means it's like an inner spiritual energy kind of thing so I was wondering what would be your take on that I believe that the Godhead is neither male nor female I believe the Godhead is so beyond what I can even think about, that it's just huge and energy and beauty and light. But because we are gendered oriented, because we're female or male, Mm -hmm. and because historically the Christian church and maybe other churches too, um, or other religions too, have made the Godhead, um, they verbalize the Godhead as male. So when I was growing up, it was all about God is man. You know, Jesus is a man. There there was never a place for me as a woman to relate to the Godhead. Mm -hmm. So I think that by understanding the feminine divine, especially as women, but men too, it gives us a place to relate to God in a very personal way. It gives us a place to connect in a way that feels authentic. And it gives us a place of power within the church, that it isn't all about male leadership, male direction, male domination, that women are very powerful. And when we can define our our spirituality in a feminine way, I think that we step into our spiritual power as women in a way that isn't possible if we only see the Godhead as male. And I I definitely agree. And I've had like those experiences too, where, you know, church leaders would be male, you know, most of them anyways. And it was kind of like, well, since the men are leading the church, you know, is more of a, a male dominance there. And then like referring to God as he, mm-hmm. like he, even like in church spirituals that I was seen growing up, you know, it was like referring to God and Jesus as a man. And this is something that I've always questioned really, because it's just like, what is my role as a female in the church? And I think that's kind of part of like my disillusionment, mm-hmm. that kind of battle that I have with 
you know, the church, not with, you know, my belief, you know, my belief is still there. It's kind of like destruction. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's like, I'm a female. Why is my value in the church house less a value? Because mm-hmm. we're all one in the body, you know, one person's role should um, override the others, shouldn't be like a hierarchy. So exactly. Exactly. And the other thing that I found too, because I went on a feminine journey as I went into the Catholic church for those 10 years and I did all this work around Mary and Sophia that I had to claim my own femininity too, because what I have found was, and I was raised in the fifties and sixties. So the culture was very male dominated then much more so than it is today. Although I still think that there's a lot of male domination even today. But anyway, what I found was that there were cultural values that I had picked up and internalized about what it was to be a woman. And, um, and it wasn't empowering. It was more about serving. It was more about being submissive. It was more about, um, well, yeah, serving and being submissive and not taking care of myself, but instead making sure that everybody around me was cared for, which is a lofty, wonderful thing to do. But if we don't take care of ourselves, we don't see ourselves in a powerful way, we lose ourselves, we lose our power, we can't work effectively in this world. We're kind of like our hands are kind of tied behind our back. Mm-hmm. And that's great that you said that, especially coming from like, you know, me and younger generation. And I I go to a church now where there's a lot of college students, college age students, Mm -hmm. and they express that sentiment of, well, there is something that I can contribute and bring to the table or bring to the church. Mm -hmm. And my age and definitely not my gender shouldn't really dictate that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also great that the leadership also acknowledges, you know, the the male dominance and and also saying, well, first and foremost, you are God's child before anything. Mm-hmm. And preaching like that oneness in the body and how everyone has something that they can bring and contribute and bring to the table. Right. So, and although I still had like kind of like that internal battle with you know, the church structure and like how I basically grew up around church, women in church that kind of internalized those things that that you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then I want to say I particularly internalized anything. I was kind of more of a rebel than anything. And I'm kind of glad that that was the case because I'm, I'm able to see things from different perspectives, but it did cause me to be looked at differently by other folks and that's part of like the other piece of like the disillusionment that I had because I was just like well look they're looking at me differently then maybe I don't belong and you know it shouldn't be that way but at the end of the day we're still humans and we have that complexity yes so you know that comes with the tendency to judge and jump to conclusions sometimes it's kind of like the downside of the human experience but then when you experience the flip side of what a spiritual journey can bring you and like getting you in touch with people who can kind of like open your eyes to certain like triggers that you're experiencing and kind of like helping you understand why you are the way you are 
how you react to certain things. It really does help a lot. Mm -hmm. It does. It really does. One of the things that's been really healing for me is I really enjoyed my time in the Catholic Church. And I loved my community there in Ho at Holy Rosary. It was just very powerful. Um, and then we moved to Durham. And I tried to find a church. And I just couldn't find that sense of community. And I looked and I looked for years. And finally, I did find it again. And I went back into the Episcopal Church to this really small little Episcopal Church called the Church of the Advocate. And the pastor there, um, when I got there and as, as at the present moment is a woman. And it was very healing for me to see a woman doing all the things that the male priests all my life I had seen doing, um, ministering to the, to the a congregation, um, uh, uh, let's see, um, doing the sermons, um, uh, um, doing the communion, blessing the bread, because it's a liturgical church. Um, and it was just, wow, to have a woman, a strong woman at the head of the church, as opposed to a man, was just, just hugely satisfying for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know it was pretty eye-opening for you, too, because it kind of like proved you right in the sense that, you know, women are capable or, Mm -hmm. of ministering the church, running the church. Yeah. You know, operating the church as a man does. Yeah. But with a difference, it was really interesting because, uh, well, this is just the, the male um, priests that I encountered in the Catholic church and some in the previous Episcopal church. And that was, is that they were very kind of closed. This is the way we're going to do it because I think this is what we do. Okay. So that's kind of what men do. And it's not a bad thing. It's just the way men lead. They have the ideas and then they bring it on down to the rest of the people. Well, what I found with this um, woman pastor, that what she did is she would collect people every, um, every about four times a year and say, okay, we're about ready to start a new season in the church. How should we present this? What should we do? What are your ideas? So she was very, very open to gathering different opinions and different ideas and then bringing and then melding all that and bringing that to the people. And I think that's also just a that's a feminine way of leading. We don't lead so much by hierarchy as we lead by um, relationship and community. Yeah. And I think one thing that I've noticed just to kind of move to my next question mm -hmm. is when you have like that, that inner spiritual awakening or spiritual experience or shifting consciousness as some people like to call it, mm -hmm. you kind of tend to deviate or dissociate yourself from certain things that you've known or certain things that you've loved, even certain people that you have had relationships with. So in regards to your, your Episcopalian faith, what, was there a time where you kind of felt a bit detached from it or felt like you were, you wanted to seek something different or have you always been de devoted to your Episcopalian faith? 
I was never devoted to the Episcopal Church. I've always been more devoted to the idea of, of having a very strong and deep relationship with God. And so I've gone to many different churches and, um, and, and just kind of that quest. And one of the things that I've found, and it's both in the Episcopal Church, I think it's just in most religions, okay? Mm -hmm. Is that mystical sense of union with God. And that is what I've always wanted. So I go where that thread leads me to whatever church will help foster and nurture that sense of mystical union and also the community that I can fit into, that I can give to them and they can give to me because that's all part of that mystical union is being in deep relationship with the people that we, that we worship with. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I'm, I'm on like that same wave in the sense that growing up, I've noticed that my faith or my relationship with God, it was more of an internal or spiritual kind of, like you said, a mystical experience more than anything. And I feel that going to the church it's kind of like an extension of that in the sense that I'm interacting with like-minded people who want to increase their faith in God. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not the centerpiece of my, my spiritual experience or the way that I relate to God. You know, it's a part of the big puzzle. And I've also noticed that God is everywhere. <laughs> and I really began paying attention to that idea when, you know, you're going out in the nature, especially, especially. Mm -hmm. I'm a very nature-centric person. Mm -hmm. So when I'm out in nature and I'm interacting with nature, you know, in my view, that's me interacting with God because I'm sharing an intimate moment. I'm sharing my body, my energy, everything with God when I'm out in nature. <laughs> and I think I always ask about, you know, the disassociation from like your faith and like from like the church and whatnot. I think mainly because really, I feel that faith really runs much deeper than like being in a church building mm -hmm. and people tend to seek that elsewhere and in the strangest places or in the strangest circumstances. So when they find out that they can seek it elsewhere or it comes to them from other places, then they're just like, well, what's the point of even going back into this environment when things that I'm seeking or feel like I was missing is here? Mm -hmm. So that's why I tend to ask that question a lot. And I get varying answers from, well, maybe I'm not interested in it anymore or, you know, something tragic happened they kind of made me turn away from it you know varying answers so that's why I tend to ask that question a lot and it's, it's something very interesting to you know think about and discuss mm -hmm. I find that um that as, as I get closer and closer to that that source of of love and power and beauty that it changes my tastes. Like I can't watch 
violent television, do you know what I mean? Or violent movies or horror movies because they just don't, they, they, they hurt. I just can't do it. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing. It's like, it's hard for me to like turn on the TV and watch the news. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because there's a lot of negative energy. Negative, negative. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think if you would, if you, just what you said there, um, Kiana, it's all about energy, right? So I really believe that the, the Godhead is positive, beautiful, light energy. And there is other energy out there. And we just have to really align ourselves with that light energy. And I think that's what causes us to become, as Father Rocco would always say, fully human. Yeah. 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 I'm like, and that's the thing, like, I'm a firm believer that we're not human beings living a spiritual experience, we're spiritual beings living a human Yes, experience. I totally agree with you. And I'm a firm believer that energy is everything. And I'm not like talking about like what you're taught in school about energy and like in your science classes or whatnot. I feel that energy is everything in the sense that it's kind of like a gain and a loss. So for instance, in general, when you're interacting with people, and you're having conversations with them. Naturally, your energy is gonna like, you know, decrease because you're you're giving off energy. Then you're kind of feeding in the energies of other people. That's like me, the empath talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there are certain aspects of energy, especially when it comes to the mass collective, that I feel needs to be discussed more, especially when we're going through a very crazy time in human history mm-hmm. right now with a lot of uncertainty social issues and mm-hmm. it just seems like a lot of things are kind of breaking down and then but the most beautiful thing about it is there is like that sense of unity among people because people are now opening up and talking about things that normally we wouldn't speak about you know, like mental health, you know, the spiritual journey, spiritual awakening, that that shift in the mind consciousness, while also confronting, you know, very, you know, tragic issues that hurt us as a people in society, especially when it comes to minorities, minority groups, people of color, women, you know, the LGBTQ community, all these people are coming together and saying, okay, enough is enough. Let's do something about it. And it's crazy because when quarantine first started, it felt like it was a movie because it was kind of hard was like to realize like, okay, is this really happening? But I think I used it personally. For me, I used it as a way to like really dive deep spiritually and do that inner work. Mm-hmm. Whereas if that quarantine period didn't happen, you know, I probably wouldn't have had time otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people, not just like me, but I know in my inner circles or, you know, I'll tend to like read like certain spiritual related stories on social media about how like quarantine has really forced them to like dig deep and like learn different things about themselves and, you know, just analyze like certain traumas or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes to, comes down to energy. I feel if the more people give their energy to certain things, the more that is going to be highlighted and paid attention to. 
And I have a friend, um, he said to me one day, he said, love is not a feeling, it's a frequency. It's an energy transfer. And that really, like, <laughs> that really boggled my mind a bit. So I had to really sit back and think about what he said and what he was trying to say in that regard. And I feel like if the mass or at least a good chunk of people focus on one type of energy or trying to emit one kind of emotion and one kind of frequency. So if we're all focusing on love and giving love, then you can feel it. It's much stronger because a lot more energy is given to it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I find the concept of energy to be very fascinating because it is very real. And I think a lot of people are beginning to see that now. And especially how it applies to their own lives and the way that they interact with people that they know. So it's, it's, very, it's a very interesting thing to see. Well, it's very interesting that you bring all this up, um, Kenna, because the paintings that I'm doing right now are all energy related. Um, I was doing, for the longest time, I kept creating um, portraits of the feminine divine. Whenever I would paint, it would always come out to be a portrait of the feminine divine. So about two years ago, I did a series of portraits of women, strong women. And all of a sudden these patterns, these patterns appeared on the canvas. I mean, it's like, why am I putting these like, I've always called them doodles. Why am I putting these in with, the, with these women? And so I started doing some um, research on just tiny little bit because I am not a scientific mind um, for quantum physics. But what I came across was this um, concept called the vector equilibrium. And the vector equilibrium is the starting point of everything, the universe, whatever, whatever it is, it's the starting point. And everything, um, and there are sound waves of energy and light waves of energy that come from the vector equilibrium. And everything that we see, experience, touch, who we are, are made up of these light and sound energy waves. Mm -hmm. So this new um, series that I'm working on, the harmonic vibration series, are these light and sound vibrations coming through me, through my, into my heart, into my spirit, down my arm and out on my, through my hands, um, onto the canvas and, um, and then I put color to them and they, they vibrate. And I believe that although our, our world can look in complete disarray, like this last year that we've done with the pandemic, that in reality, that our universe, our underlying existence is in complete harmony. And, um, so I just really like to think of these paintings as being uh, love, joy, and peace vibrations made visible. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And I think I would love to like know a little more about your project. When you say harmonic vibrations, is it just the energy? Thing that you feel or like you're receiving something on the inside or are you interacting with you know sound music 
-hmm. Could you like go a little deeper into that concept? For me, I sit down in my in my yellow chair back over there, and I put my sketchbook on my lap, and I get really quiet, and I I make a grid which is right there in my sketchbook, and then I just start doodling and I let my my spirit be open. I let my hand kind of go, and all of a sudden, you know, after all these kind of meandering, all of a sudden something will take and it will. Be like, oh, and all of a sudden that design, the pattern will, will just start appearing. Mm -hmm. And the reason I call it harmonic is because all the pieces are in harmony with each other. The pieces in the background, the pieces that I actually create, the circles, the diamonds, um, the squares, the rectangles, they all interrelate together to create the piece. And I believe that's what energy does too in its highest form, is it interrelates together to create a total harmonious pattern. And what we need to do is be like what you were saying, Kiana, about being full of light, you know, being open to um, energy, that as we get more and more clear inside ourselves, then we can see these vibrations and realize that anything negative in the world is just like a little shadow because what's really real and what's really powerful in our world are these beautiful vibrations of love and joy and peace that are brought to us in light and sound. Yeah, I just, I find it very interesting. You know, my art mediums are photography and I'm also a musician. So, we say like harmonic vibration, I think about dancing, for instance, oh, yeah. and like the harmonies that you create in your movement, mm -hmm. especially the shapes that you create when you're dancing, depending yeah. on the style. Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, whenever I see or like, I've been following your project for a while, for whatever reason, I think of dance, mm -hmm. especially like contemporary dancing or like dancing in certain styles of certain, um, dancers like Martha Graham or Merce Cunningham, mm -hmm. Catherine Dunham, or three of my favorite dancers, and just seeing the shapes that you could create when you're in movement. Mm -hmm. And then the musician piece, you know, especially when you're like recording a song, for instance, for instance, say I play the violin, and then for every tune that comes out of the violin, you see like a change in like the frequency, like in the beats and the measures and whatnot you know, that can be sort of a pattern as well, depending on what you're playing. Yes. So it's, well, it goes to show that art and music is a very, very deep energy-based mm -hmm. form of work. Because especially when you're making music or when you're painting or dancing or whatnot, mm -hmm. there is that transmission of energy. Mm -hmm. it, you know, the frequency may vary, but you're still giving and receiving a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. So um, who would you say has been a source of inspiration? It could be an actual person or, you know, like a fictional person. Who's been like a source of inspiration for you along your journey? 
along my spiritual journey or along my artistic journey? We can go for both. Hmm. Well, George MacDonald, because of The Princess and the Goblin and C.S. Lewis, I've, written, I've read pretty much all that C.S. Lewis has written. He's pretty amazing. And then Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton um, was really important to me when I became Catholic. Um, he wrote The Seven Story Mountain and it was his um, story of him coming into the Catholic Church. And it was the first time I understood that because he's, he described his father who was an artist as being a mystic. And he said that all artists are mystics because you have to go into the unseen and bring out from, from that unseen, you bring out and make visible, you know, what you have discovered. And it was the first time I ever realized that I was a mystic and that being an artist, you have to be. That was very, very intense for me. Mm. Yeah. And then my very favorite artist and um, is Richard Diebenkorn. But the woman who I really can relate to in terms of this, what we've been talking about in terms of energy vibration was Hilma Off Clint. And um, she, was, she was doing uh, geometric, ex abstract, ex uh, geometric abstract paintings even before Kandinsky did. And he's called the father of um, abstract geometric expression. Ah, and she was a very spiritual woman. She had a, a group of women, they were called the five. And they would get together on Fridays and they would do these kind of like seances where they reached out to become one with the energy. And then with that, they, they did automatic drawing, okay? And so they would also get in touch with spirits that would talk to them. Now, Kiana, I have no idea how that all works. Like, not at all. I'm just telling you her story, okay? I have not had spirits talk to me like this, okay? So, but they talked to her and they asked her if they would, if she would do paintings for the temple. Mm -hmm. And she agreed to. So she sat and felt like she was being directed to do all these paintings for a spiral temple that one day would be built. And these um, paintings for the temple would be put in there and it would be like a church for of energy right so she died uh, and then she was told that she her work was so cutting edge that the world was not ready to receive it so she made a stipulation in her will that she, her work would not be shown until 20 years after her death and then um, she was from Sweden and um, they started to be shown. And a couple of years ago, wouldn't you know, they came to the Guggenheim Museum in New York. And wouldn't you know, the Guggenheim Museum is shaped in a spiral. So I know. So her, her paintings for this temple that was shaped in a spiral, this, that was never built, but this museum was built. And so it all seemed to come together as one complete whole. Yeah, and her work is just so full of light and energy and pattern that it's just unbelievable. Yeah, so, I had to go up to New York to see it and it was an amazing experience. So what would make it cutting edge? Was it something that was very provocative for the time period? 
nobody had been doing anything with, well, I say nobody, okay, nobody in the European world, okay, had been doing much with geometrics, okay, which is not the case with the indigenous world across the, 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 the centuries. Most of their work has been um, geometric. In fact, what they believed that God was, was the spiral, because they saw that energy moved in a spiral shape, okay? So when they would do their artwork and they did patterns, they were actually describing the Godhead in their, their particular work. Mm -hmm. But the European community went very much into figurative um, realism, okay? So Hilma was one of the first in that line to break into the geometric patterns. Yeah. So, yeah. I think for me, my, my personal artistic favorites, besides the photography medium, mm -hmm. I really love surrealism. Because mm, yes. it's kind of like the balance between like the dream world and reality. Mm -hmm. And two of my favorite artists, Salvador Dali, who yeah. quite was quite eccentric, but <laughs> he he was he was a genius. I love this work. And then Louise Boynell, he was friends with Salvador Dali and they did films together. Ah. And there's this one film, I cannot remember the name of it. It was like a 20-minute short film that they did together very surrealistic i i may have to send it to you yeah i'd like and to. i think it had no plot at all and the plot will jump between one period to the next so at the beginning you know it was set i think when the young guy the main character was in his early 20s, then it jumps for eight years later and it makes no sense at all. So, but in a way, the transitions were so seamless and like the very surrealistic images were very seamless. It felt like there was a plot, even though there wasn't one at all. People, and I read that people weren't really accepted of it at first, but then it became really popular after a while and it stayed like on the screen for about a year. And this was like in Paris, France where Dolly and Bruno were working and then it got really popular there. It was a crazy art scene in France. And I think the French art scene is very interesting to me, mainly because a lot of African-American artists and singers would go over there, become popular. Italy to an extent, but not as much as France because you had Josephine Baker, then the Nicholas Brothers who were like a tap duo. You know, their tap dancing is insane. I don't know if you heard of them or not, but they're amazing. But anyway, so France was kind of like that, the melting pot of art mm. in the sense that people from different cultures was able to make a living off of art in France, especially in Paris, you know, the heart of everything. So I, I really think it is unique that you pointed that artist out and how cutting edge and ahead of her time she was because I know a lot of artists that I'm into, they had like that same tagline of what they were known for. They were known for like pushing the boundaries of where art is and what art is supposed to be and their respective mediums. 
that's a really interesting thing to see. It is. And it's interesting how not just artists, but people in general um, build upon ideas that have come um, before them. And also as we, we journey together, we, we build off each other's ideas. It'll spark an idea and, and they'll grow in one way with it. And then I'll grow in one way with it. And it's really interesting to see that kind of interaction happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know, especially since it's during the early 1900s that my art, my favorite artists have come out, like the mystique and the mystery that surrounds them, mm -hmm. because there wasn't a lot of, you know, technology, media, you know, like what we have today that didn't exist mm -hmm. in their time. So you always read like these very crazy stories or that sound nearly mythological, mm -hmm. but you could, you never can decipher what's true and what's not because mm -hmm. you weren't there. This, this is like a written account and there's probably not any, any footage mm -hmm. <laughs> like see. So that's what makes them even more intriguing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I guess we can kind of wrap up on that note. <laughs> I can talk about art all day. But the last question I usually ask participants is to just send a message of encouragement or advice to people who may be listening, especially during like this time of uncertainty and you know, just it's like a lot of unrest that's just going on around the world today. I think it'd be nice to just like send a small message of encouragement. Right. My message of encouragement is to get very, very quiet and to learn to go into yourself and meet that spirit self and meet that connection that we have with the, the whole universe of energy that we've been talking about because we can connect to that. And when we do, it empowers us to live in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of loss in a very light-filled way. Yeah, it's a very, very strong message. Mm -hmm. It's great to have a sense of inner peace. Mm -hmm. And I'm a firm believer if you don't really have like that inner peace or struggle to find that inner peace within yourself, it's kind of hard for you to show up for other people in your life. Mm -hmm. So, and I know for me personally, not gonna like go too deep, I know firsthand that that can really be the case. And as much as you want to like, we like focus in on certain things that are very important to you. Sometimes it's just best to unplug and like really step back and like give yourself the space to really get some inner peace going and flowing on the inside. So that's yeah. a very great message. Yeah, thank you, Kiana. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you so much for taking part. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation so much, dear. It was like awesome. Yeah, it was, you're always very interesting to talk to. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of your Harmonic Vibrations project just to see where it goes and even future projects. So yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Thank you so much, Kiana. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.